Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory from the Relevant Radio app. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. Welcome to Trending with Timory here on Relevant Radio. And it is so good to be with you. It is a long week, I know, sometimes for a lot of people. So if you're on your way home, maybe from a long day at work, cooking dinner, whatever you might be, thanks for being with us today. Now, I am looking forward to what we'll discuss today. It's a sensitive topic. I know it's a little dicey and it gets rather personal. But have you ever considered getting sterilized? For example, tubal ligation or a vasectomy? We're going to talk to a medical doctor and we'll look at the medical implications of getting sterilized along with diving into the church's teaching. Our toll-free line today is 888-914-9149 and it's sponsored by Catholic Order of Foresters Life Insurance. If you have a question or want to weigh in on the conversation, perhaps share a testimony, we're happy to talk to you. Again, medical physician, medical doctor, and fertility specialist. Dr. Susan Caldwell will be with me here to discuss this. We're also going to discuss a important topic of, I'm hearing this more and more, a lot of women, friends of mine who are being told by medical professionals they can't have children or it would be next to impossible to have children. Here's the deal. Here's the question. Are there any medical conditions that could prevent you from having children? Now, obviously, you and I know those where actual body parts are missing, but are there medical conditions? For example, type 1 diabetes, where I'm hearing, I recently heard of a woman who was told she couldn't have children. Are these cases true? We're going to discuss this with medical physician and fertility specialist, Dr. Susan Caldwell, today on Trending. So stay with me if you want to weigh in, have a question. The number is 888-914-9149. Also, the debate today is heated surrounding Celibacy or no celibacy, especially for priests and religious. A Freudian mindset says that sexuality influences every action and behavior of our lives, but is that really what we think as Catholics or what sound philosophy, human anthropology, and even psychology says? We're going to talk about this in our Theology of the Body series, and we'll cover virginity and celibacy for the kingdom of heaven. What is it? Why does it matter? Also, some concerns about the conversation I had earlier this week about breast cancer and abortion. So we'll tie that up and discuss a little bit more today on Trending during Breast Cancer Awareness. Joining me is a medical doctor, Dr. Susan Caldwell. She's a NAPR physician working with people who are facing infertility issues as well. And she is well-schooled in the teaching of the church. Dr. Caldwell, this is a very controversial and I know sensitive topic. Some people may say, I didn't know. I had no idea. I thought I was avoiding things such as contraception, abortion when it came to planning my family. Can you talk to me about the medical consequences of going through with a vasectomy or tubal ligation. Let's start with tubal ligation. 
Yes. And it's like you said, it's really common and it's confusing because doctors just gently um, say, you know what, sometimes not so gently, but it's just offered as, as, as simply as, you know, do you want antibiotics for strep throat? You know, it, 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 it's as if there's no moral or ethical concerns. And so sometimes scared couples um, women, uh, especially, you know, in the midst of a difficult pregnancy, um, the, the, com- the question comes up, do you want us to tie your tubes while we're doing the C-section? And it sounds so inviting, right? It sounds like a way to, to kind of bypass some future suffering. So I get it. I get it. I get why people want to do it. But often, you know, the, we don't, people don't, aren't able to consent really well because Basically, what you're consenting to is mutilation of the body, right? There's a perfectly working system of reproductive um, organs in the man or the woman. And what you're consenting to is to disrupt that functioning reproductive system surgically. Um, And it's really uh, that that just is going to probably end in some sort of a complication. So for women... um, just some things that come to mind. So it's not 100%, right? I mean, you still can get pregnant. And, w- and if that does happen, it's very likely to be an ectopic pregnancy or a pregnancy in the tubes. And that is one of the leading causes of death in of pregnant women. So mm. that's pretty that's pretty scary. They had, um, back in uh, 2018 was the last time they used this um, thing called the Esher coil. And they put this metal coil in the woman's tubes. And the idea would be that um, the woman would scar um, because of this foreign body. um, And it would just just close the tubes, if you will. Um, But it led to many deaths because of what happened when you put this foreign body in the it would they would move um they would th- there was blood clots associated it was just nasty and that's not y- used anymore um there's different techniques but that one's not used anymore but anytime you have surgery there's a compli- there's potentially complication the biggest one i think is something called the post tubal ligation syndrome um basically when you cut the blood supply off by removing the tubes to the ovaries because that's what you do the blood supply to the ovaries um is disrupted so then ov- ovulation becomes disrupted which means the periods become abnormal usually very heavy so women who have tubal ligations are three times more three times more likely to need a hysterectomy to manage the complications from the bleeding so that's a lot. Wow. That's a lot to yeah. think about. So leading to hysterectomy. So you're saying post tubal ligation syndrome can lead to needing a hysterectomy later yeah. on. You're talking about the increase in the fact that you can still get pregnant after tubal ligation, mm-hmm. but that ectopic and tubal pregnancy are very common. And as you said, ectopic and tubal pregnancy are the leading cause of death for pregnant women. That's astounding. Those are two things that I knew that it was more common to have to get a hysterectomy if you went through Mm -hmm. with tubal ligation, which I think sometimes people say, well, what's that big of a deal? So I want to touch on what's problematic with a hysterectomy in a moment. But first, coming back just to the ectopic tubal pregnancy, that will lead to the death of your child 
and potentially your death if not caught in time. And what's scary is that if someone's gone through with tubal ligation, they think it's bulletproof. They think they can't get pregnant. Right. So when this ectopic tubal pregnancy occurs, it's probably likely one of the last things to be suspected on the part of the woman that something life-threatening yeah. could be happening so naturally from the simple gift of marital intimacy or intimacy because she thought that this wasn't possible because of sterilization, which is startling for me as well, Dr. Caldwell, because it's not just women who have had children, been there, done that, who are being sterilized. I'm hearing about many in my peer set married haven't even yes. been married and younger young people who are getting sterilized making a lifelong decision to not have children and they would have no idea what some of the symptoms could be for pregnancy and they could mm -hmm. face an ectopic tubal pregnancy and i foresee this being a high common reason why women might be dying today and have no idea mm, yeah that that's definitely possible and i found a website as i was doing my research today um it looked pretty legit. It's called tubal.org, T-U-B-A-L.org. Um, and it had some interesting facts about um, dangers of this surgery. So it's anybody out there who's considering it. No, it's not a Catholic website. It's a medical website. Um, but, it, you know, it's often that the people who have been hurt by these procedures often have to go underground um, and they're really hushed. You know, the doctors just, it, it, they don't they don't have their voices heard very often. So I just want to mm -hmm. just make sure that, um, you know, we, we give some sort of a, because, you know, here, here on this show, you know, my, many are Catholic and maybe aren't, aren't considering it because of the ethical um, idea. But, but those that, you know, we need to know the, the truth, right? The whole truth. <laughs> we need to know the science. We need to know the faith so that we can live to our our greatest potential mm. and i'm really appreciative of you mentioning this because i've discussed a lot about why you shouldn't get a vasectomy in the past i remember some years ago when i was doing research because i have autoimmune diseases i was learning about various causes one of the leading causes for autoimmune disease in men is actually a vasectomy and so it just doesn't surprise me that when we disrupt natural functions of our body that something goes wrong. And I know we'll touch on vasectomies in a moment, but before we go there, you mentioned that one of the common things that occurs after going through the tubal ligation is post-tubal ligation syndrome, leading often to a hysterectomy. What's problematic with having a hysterectomy as well? Well, first of all, hysterectomy is a big surgery. So, you know, there, there can be complications from surgery. Um, you can, uh, depending on, you know, the skill of the surgeon, you could be left with injury to the, um, the bladder, the bowel. Um, there can just be, you know, it's, it's a big surgery. Um, you can have later um, pelvic floor collapse because, you know, you're missing mm -hmm. that, you know, they've, they've removed vital organs um, that were there. And just the way that your body naturally supports those organs um, isn't there anymore. Um, so, you know, they're, they're just, there are a lot of complications potentially from hysterectomy. It's good to keep your mm. organs. It's really good <laughs> to do that. Yeah. And I can think of so many women that we're hearing of who later in life are struggling with the pelvic floor collapse and the disaster that that causes day to day in their lives, especially 
toward the older years in your life. And this is often, again, a result of previous tubal ligation or hysterectomy. When people thought that, boom, this would just be a simple solution to family planning, it's not. It's so complicating for your body. I appreciate this candid information on the medical side. We'll touch on the ethical side in just a little bit, but can you t- speak to vasectomies? What's problematic with vasectomies? I'll just touch on what I heard some years ago, how I came across this as being problematic because I ignorantly many years ago just thought, okay, you know, I know the church is against vasectomies. I didn't know there were medical consequences. Of course there are. But one of the leading ones I learned, Dr. Caldwell, and I was standing, you can speak far better to this, is that there's still sperm that's produced in the body and the sperm has to go somewhere. And so the sperm attacks the body, leading to severe autoimmune diseases and even food allergies Mm -hmm. for a lot of men as a result of this. Can you share with me a little Mm -hmm. bit more about this? Mm-hmm. So the way that um, the man's body is designed, um, the sperm do not have access to the blood, uh, to our bloodstream. In other words, the immune system normally. Okay. But when there is surgery, now sperm, the sperm blood barrier, if you will, is now ruptured. So now the immune system that lives in the blood can now recognize the sperm as foreign invaders because naturally sperm don't live in the blood, you know? (laughs) And so now you've got this. So I read that at least 50% of men will develop anti-sperm antibodies, okay? Now, what what I had a harder time finding is what will that mean for the man's life moving forward, okay? Well, you know that it's never good to have your immune system attacking your own tissue, right? right. And the way I, yes. I, I'm just, I logically, you know, I just, this has to make sense to me. And this, the way I've, it makes sense to me is that, you know, our immune system's job is to, you know, defend us against invasion from other things like viruses and cancer cells that have gone wild inside of us and, um, bacteria and things like that. Well, the way I look at it is, you know, just like an autoimmune thyroid disease. And in, in, in this case, when now the, the, the body is, bi- the immune system is busy attacking the sperm, who's, who's checking for foreign invaders? Who's, who's busy doing that? Right. So, so it just, it, to me, it, it, it makes sense. It weakens our ability to stay healthy from an immune standpoint. If we've got our body attacking ourselves. Mm. So it, it can increase the risk of autoimmune disease, but I, honestly, I don't think that this is, it, I think it's hard to study. To be honest, yes. I think it's really hard to to, to, correct, to conduct a study that way, um, but uh, I haven't seen a ton of research on that. Maybe you, you've seen more, but, um, but, I, but I'm sure that it's affecting men negatively in that, in, around the immune system. Definitely yeah, they're seeing some- increased cancer risk, but that, that was kind of, Again, vague, vague. It's fascinating that you mentioned this because when I started doing research on this a few years ago, it came up because I came across it because of autoimmune disorders that I've experienced and seen this as a leading cause for men. And so I started digging deeper. I was astounded by how hush-hush it is in Mm -hmm. the medical community. And I think it's similar to the issue of tubal ligation and hysterectomies that people who are suffering as a result of this are being quieted or the medical industry is just so powerful financially. And we have to recognize the medical industry 
industry is so radically pro-abortion that they do not actually want you to have children. And they are right. very in favor of killing your babies or telling you that it's next to impossible, which we'll talk about that right. in just a little bit here on the show. Uh, because I hear from women all the time, I've t- been told that I can't have children because of this autoimmune disorder. Well, I have the same thing and I have two children. Or I've been told I can't have children mm-hmm. because I have type 1 diabetes. We'll talk about that later, but it's such a radical pro-abortion mindset. And so when I started doing research, there are a lot of dads who have come forward talking about trying to go through with a reversal um, for mm-hmm. vasectomies. There's a website called dadsagain.com and it even touches on the cost of that vasectomy reversal and that not all vasectomy reversals are the same. Uh, there, There's some interesting research out there on this topic. One of the key people covering it is Dr. H.J. Roberts and he's done extensive research on the topic for the last 25 years and he says no other operation performed on he- humans even approaches the degree degree and duration of multiple immunological mm-hmm. responses that occur in the post vasectomy state. He touches on everything, as you mentioned, Dr. Caldwell, from prostate t- cancer, rheumatoid arthritis, mm-hmm. erectile dysfunction, chronic testicular pain, chronic mm-hmm. inflammation, and many other things. I could include a whole link a list here, but these are really serious medical yeah. conditions, not to mention everything from lymphoma to diabetes, sclerosis, all of these point to yeah. dysfunctions in the immune system, even liver dysfunction, Dr. Caldwell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm not surprised. And I, you know, I'm just thinking of a man who I saw in clinic, a patient who told me that ever since his um, vasectomy, he's had chronic pain. So that's mm-hmm. a real thing, chronic scrotal pain. And we know there's an increase in prostate cancer in men who have um, vasectomy and decreased testosterone made by the testicles because you've disrupted yes. the function and the, the, you know, and how many men are, are, you know, upset and being treated because of low testosterone and all of the downstream things that that causes fatigue mm-hmm. and erectile dysfunction, like you said. Right. And so we just can't mess with mother nature like this. You know, it, this mm-hmm. is, <laughs> it's true. We really shouldn't. God has designed us to work in a certain way. And when we thwart it, then we hurt ourselves. You know, like you said, yes. I think this is a topic that needs to be further discussed. Unfortunately, I don't think it's something that even a lot of men want to discuss and who really wants to talk about the fact that he's been neutered essentially. I really don't think like men like talking about that. And for women, I think it's a sensitive topic as well because motherhood Mm -hmm. is at the core of who we are. And even when we avoid or reject it, even sometimes for legitimate reasons, but going about it the wrong way, there are deep wounds there. So if you're listening and there's discomfort with this conversation, I encourage you to just listen. This is a medical perspective we've been diving into. I want to touch on the ethical perspective, what the Catholic Church has to say about this, because I think that there is a lot of um, wounds surrounding choices with regard to fertility, and the church has a moral framework. It's not always easy, Dr. Caldwell. You work a lot with women who are trying to conceive mm-hmm. babies or deal with what's going on with their bait, with their bodies, and I think the question at hand is, is this a moral form of family planning as an alternative, as some people might think, to the use of illicit things such as contraception and abortion? Yeah, it's not, it's absolutely not. You know, each act, each marital embrace must 
be open to life. I mean, that is clear from Pope Paul VI all the way back, right? But Pope Paul VI affirmed that, Pope John Paul affirmed that, and that has not changed. And and by deliberately rendering the act sterile, you are basically telling the Holy Spirit, we do not want you in this marriage, right? And just like every act, you know, every, um, it's, it's not okay to have, to, to practice adultery on some, at, on some occasions, right? No, it's never okay to practice adultery. Every act has to be faithful to your spouse, right? Total, fruitful, faithful, and free, right? And so this goes to the fact that this act is so sacred and is so um, kind of tied into the way God loves us, right? The way we love each other in marriage is, is supposed to show the world how God loves us, and God loves us very fruitfully. So every act has to remain true to the to the marriage vows. Mm. And when we talk about this, it impacts the interpersonal side of the relationship, which yeah. it follows naturally on the moral order. Uh, sterilization violates two fundamental elements that the Catholic Church calls us to in every sexual act that every sexual act is one unitive and two procreative it actually damages the, the unitive dimension of how god created the bodies to be complementarities to one another even just the fact that sex is more enjoyable when we receive the gift of one another totality in its totality and the way the bodies are meant to connect and share with one another. It's fascinating to even hear people talk about this from, you know, when some people have used various forms of contraception, such as, sorry to get graphic, but withdrawal, right? And how yeah. there's a difference in the enjoyment and pleasure, even studies point to this. But then the procreative dimension, we're also mm -hmm. violating the procreative dimension that human life cannot result from that gift of marital unity. And so when I look at the church's teaching, it's interesting. If you look at the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 38 actually addresses this when Onan, for example, spills his seed on the ground whenever he engaged in intimacy. God struck him dead. But follow that on the church's teaching. We look at the Catechism of the Catholic Church where it says, except when performed for strictly therapeutical medical reasons, direct directly intended amputations, mutilations, and sterilization performed on innocent persons are against the moral law. In fact, Pope Paul VI in his encyclical Humana Vitae wrote, Equally to be condemned is direct sterilization, whether of the man or of the women, whether permanently or temporarily. Sterilization is mm -hmm. always against God's moral order and mm -hmm. the plan for how medically the body functions, mm -hmm. but how we interact interpersonally in the relationship and mm -hmm. the openness to human life. Right. And, and just it goes against our dignity. And in other words, we're called to affirm our spouse in their totality. Mm -hmm right? How God created them. And so basically what you're telling your spouse who, you know, let's say it's the man who um, is getting uh, a vasectomy, um, you know, basically he and his wife are saying, you know, there's a huge part of you and who you are that really isn't working for me. So that's horrible. I mean, how can you be in a loving relationship when you are calling something bad that is a fundamental part of someone's identity you know that doesn't that doesn't feel very unitive <laughs> just in that sense right because you're just condemning something as as bad even though it's it's good in the way god created it 
Amen. Amen. And this is why we need to look at what does the church teach when making even serious medical and health decisions for ourselves, planning for our family, because the church's guidance is so scientific, is so human-centered, is for the sake of our holiness, but also the joy of our relationships as well. So learn more about Dr. Susan Caldwell at drsusancaldwell.com. We're going to come back discussing how a lot of women are being told by medical professionals they can't have children or it would be next to impossible. Is that true? We'll be right back with Dr. Caldwell. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. November is the month of the Holy Souls in Purgatory, and they need our prayers because they cannot pray for themselves. So, Join us here at Relevant Radio with our Holy Souls Novena running November 2nd through 10th. You can submit up to 20 names at relevantradio.com slash souls. That's relevantradio.com slash souls. Join us for this nine-day novena, the 2nd through the 10th, during daily mass, the Divine Chaplet, Family Rosary Across America, here on Relevant Radio. With me now is Dr. Susan Caldwell. You can find her at drsusancaldwell.com. That's C-A-L-D-W-E-L-L.com. We are looking to this issue that I am hearing more common than not, Dr. Caldwell, where women are being told by a medical professional that they cannot have children or it would be next to impossible to even think of having children. Every single time I hear this, it's a big red flag, red alert, that unless there are actual body parts that are missing, this goes against the reality of all of salvation history and miraculous pregnancies. But number two, I think that we live in a medical community that is radically pro-abortion and anti-child. And we do not live in a society that is in favor of fighting to help women try to conceive children because society says that you're better off without children today. And so I'd love to hear from you. Are there any medical conditions that could prevent you from having children? You know, this is such a nuanced conversation, um, and I'm glad you prefaced it with um, just kind of the the, the typical outlook um, that OBGYNs have, or our whole culture has, really, about children and fertility. Um, so menopause, typically, you know, you would you would say even you know, there's something called premature or um, primary ovarian insufficiency. Um, that can happen. But, you know, I have had patients with this where it's clear that they might be in their 30s, but it looks like they're kind of in menopause or approaching menopause. And, you know, we still are are giving them progesterone as long as they're still having some period. I mean, we're just, we wanted to give every chance. We want to be hopeful. We want to have creative solutions. And I would say if anybody has been told that, to get a second opinion from a someone like a napro doctor um, who has more creative solutions. Don't be, you know, don't be fooled and by the by the typical OBGYN. But it surprises me. You know, you're saying this, but the patients who I've I've heard that about have you know that they've been sent to IVF clinics. So mm-hmm. you know. Yes. I, they really are. So, so first, you know, if, if the OB can't just give them a, a quick p- 
pill like Clomid to help them get pregnant. They'll send them to the IVF clinic. And you know, it's rare that the IVF clinic would say to somebody, there's no way you can get pregnant. Um, and, and if they do, um, then again, you need to get a second opinion from someone who has more of a creative approach, more of a hopeful approach. It's an interesting topic because, again, barring missing body parts, it's mm -hmm. a really important conversation we had. And you gave a great example that these same people who are being told they can't have children are being sent to IVF clinics. Yet you still need a lot of things to be functioning properly in order to go through the very damaging very damaging series of events that involves in vitro fertilization. So why wouldn't we have, like you said, a hopeful approach that is more gentle and respectful? And as you said, uh, open to doing some investigation, which is what natural physicians mm -hmm. such as yourself mm -hmm. do. So I'll give you an example that was just thrown at me this last week. A man ended up contacting me saying that he has a friend who has type 1 diabetes and she was told because she has type 1 diabetes, she would never be able to have children. And my job dropped at this specific issue right. because even naturalwomanhood.org, which is a great resource on NAPRO information, talks a lot with tons of articles about how actually using NAPRO technology and fertility care awareness can only help lead you to having children, but can help in addressing and treating your type 1 diabetes as well. Can you speak to this example? Absolutely. Absolutely. I have a patient right now who, in fact, has type 1 diabetes. Um, she has two children, um, and she's trying to get pregnant again. She's had a couple of miscarriages. And as we've done her charting and her hormones, I mean, she her hormones are terrible, so we're working on that. She recognized that she was using so much insulin, requiring so much insulin because she had a very poor diet. So now she's working with a nutritionist. We've got her hormones managed, her thyroid. She also had Hashimoto's that now it's mm -hmm. being addressed. So this is a very hopeful case, you know, and, and I think what ha normally happens, unfortunately, is, you know, doctors just have this one-size-fits-all mindset, and they don't have a nuanced, personalized approach with each patient. This patient was really, you know, she had this doctor who was an endocrinologist who was just giving her insulin, right? Not actually curious about what was going on in other areas of her life, didn't know she had Hashimoto's, didn't even check her antibodies, Right. She was, she was not well. She felt terrible. She was having miscarriages and she wanted a baby, but nobody um, took the time to look at these different areas of her health that, that wasn't just related to her you know, insulin level or, or insulin dose. So, and, yeah. And I, I'm just thinking you and I discussed last time you were here on Trinity and we'll link to that episode, insulin resistance and how you can actually address insulin resistance. And this is such yes. a hot key, I think, buzzword today, but a lot of just basic health and wellness and food, even the order in which you eat your food can help address mm -hmm. insulin resistance, which is which is actually a leading cause of infertility today. Yes. And yes. so, I, I mean, this example is so overwhelming for a lot of women, Dr. Caldwell. This is why I love what NAPRO technology is and how it's a resource to women who are being told they can't have children. It's the hidden secret of the Catholic Church because Catholics founded the great science of NAPRO technology. Can mm -hmm. you give for someone who maybe isn't aware of what NAPRO is, what NAPRO is and how it can be helpful? 
Yes. So NAPRA technology is short for nat natural procreative technology. So in many, many cases, women have symptoms related to their reproductive system, whether it be pain or problems with ovulating or infertility or cysts or miscarriages. And what we do is we investigate using tools to investigate. And the major tool that we use is we have a, we teach a woman about the normal cycle and we ask her, teach her how to chart her biomarkers, which is the main thing we chart is vaginal discharge what related to her mucus and her um, blood. And the, the, the way that's charted out kind of gives us a roadmap to do, look further into what could be causing her problem. And so it, we have protocols to identify, you know, to test and to treat different hormonal problems. So for example, this is one that is just never on anybody's radar, which is one of my favorite things. Um, people who have recurrent miscarriages often have um, problems making progesterone and estrogen, mm -hmm. the corpus luteum, part of the, the part of the ovary that makes the hormones to, to, to sustain the lining for implantation. Many, many women just cannot get pregnant and stay pregnant unless they are given a hormone called HCG that supports that corpus luteum in order to have sustained healthy levels of progesterone and estrogen throughout the luteal phase and leading into pregnancy. And that is one of the, you know, whenever I see patients with recurrent miscarriages and they're their OB is just giving them progesterone without testing, without really diagnosing properly the cause. So we're really just, I would say, the way I look at it is um, the IVF approach and typical OBGYN approach is really this far off, zoomed out approach, right? Where NAPR technology, we zoom in and we use, a, you know, magnifying glass, if you will. And we're really looking at all these these very important domains, um, again, like we said, even including, you know, nutrition, um, stress. Um, so many women, they want a, a pill or something to quote unquote fix them. But if you let them know, hey, this is what you can do. We're, we're turning the power back over to the woman for her to be the kind of the boss, if you will, um, of her, the master of her mystery, as as St. John Paul too, we want the woman to be the master of her mystery and to show us and for us to help her show us what's wrong so that we can apply very moral but efficacious technologies to bring her to health. And it's individualized. It's personalized and it's case by case. This is why if you or someone you know is struggling with any form of fertility, infertility, or women's health issues, please see an APRA physician. They are the best at addressing these health issues. And some examples of cases where I know, Dr. Caldwell, you have seen women have children when they were told otherwise they couldn't by other medical professions include PCOS, that's polycystic ovarian syndrome, endometriosis, Hashimoto's, and many other medical issues that, that people claim you can't have children, but indeed, countless times, NAPRA technology is helping women to respectfully, without compromising life or her body, to have babies. We're talking about what you're thinking about. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app.
It's Breast Cancer Awareness Month here on Trending. Let's talk about concerns about breast cancer and the connection to abortion. But first, a huge shout out. If you are listening in the state of Ohio, we just launched our new network station, WNKN at 105.9 FM. If you're listening in Cincinnati or the Dayton area, shout out, welcome to Relevant Radio. I'm Timory. You're listening to Trending with Timory. Stay connected. Feel free to ask your questions about hot button issues that impact and collide with our faith. Now, earlier this week, I was talking about Breast Cancer Awareness Month and the connection between abortion and breast cancer. I broke down the medical science and data that is so sound and clear on the connection between abortion and breast cancer. And if you missed it, we'll be sure to post a link in the episode notes for today's show, as well as on social media. Just follow me at Timmery, T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E, because you and a woman in your life needs to know the connection between abortion and breast cancer because it is extremely threatening. It is a leading cause of breast cancer today, even among young women who are developing breast cancer. So what I want to touch on is I was actually written to uh, by a woman who is a survivor of breast cancer, praise the Lord, survivor of breast cancer, diagnosed at the age of 47. And she said, I'm a breast cancer survivor, diagnosed at age 47, and I have never had an abortion, a miscarriage, or early labor. She was rather disgruntled, and I hope you're listening because I get it. If you're looking at this and you're going, oh my goodness, I am so pro-life, but I don't want people, and you even address this in the email, especially in the Catholic community looking at me, assuming that I had an abortion or did anything else that could have caused me to have breast cancer. Great question. I think this is kind of a false dichotomy, and I recognize this is a sensitive point, but we should never assume the cause as to why someone had a particular medical condition. Just like we shouldn't assume someone can't or isn't having children because they are taking or have taken contraception or to assume that they've had an abortion. That's just a fallacious argument that just because we personally didn't experience, for example, an abortion as the cause of breast cancer, that we don't believe the link between abortion and breast cancer. It's astounding. I mean, even people with lung cancer, my producer Patrick just pointed out, feel the same way as they've often never smoked, yet tons of people have lung cancer. So I think it's really important that we recognize the medical community, and this is a theme of today's show, has a pro-abortion mindset, an anti-life mindset that is influencing everything from the way we do go about medical choices, whether or not we believe in having children. The pro-abortion mindset is prevalent in the medical community. That's why it's important to always have a pro-life physician. And the data, the medical data is very clear. I hope if you didn't hear the episode pointing to how abortion is a leading cause of breast cancer, that you will listen to it because it's very important we're having these conversations. Now, one of the comments that was made uh, by a woman who said she had breast cancer, she said, I'm as pro-life as anyone, but the focus has to be on the humanity of the baby. She said, she claims this, and I completely disagree. Most women don't really want to have abortions. They view it as the least bad of a set of bad options. I do agree with that. Most women actually don't want to have an abortion. But then she says, telling them they might have a higher risk of breast cancer 20, 30, or 50 years from now is next to meaningless to a woman facing a crisis pregnancy. I'm sorry, but but that just simply isn't true. I have dedicated a lot of my time, free time, in front of the abortion clinic sidewalk counseling and spent nearly six years working in a pregnancy resource center with women facing unplanned crisis pregnancy situations. And women in unplanned crisis pregnancy situations, well, yes, they're thinking about the baby, 
are thinking first and foremost about themselves and how they're going to survive and get out of this horrible crisis, unplanned situation. And yes, I have seen firsthand that it's effective when talking to women about the negative health consequences that can occur for them as a result of the abortion. So yes, I agree. We do need to focus on the humanity of the baby, but that shouldn't always be our leading argument. I think we're flawed as pro-life people when we only focus on the humanity of the baby. And actually, we deserve just criticism from people who are pro-abortion when they say we focus in too much and exclusively on the baby. Women come with broken past and circumstances who are looking for that abortion. As you mentioned in your email to me, women don't really want to have abortions because it's all the other circumstances that are impacting them, which is why we need to help have a pro woman mindset that includes telling them the truth about the link between abortion and breast cancer and the high likelihood and risk of contracting breast cancer after an abortion because those increase in cancer vulnerable cells known as lobules in the breast tissue. So this is a really key conversation that needs to be had with people when they're considering having an abortion with pushing forward consent laws. I think that we, again, I push back on this. I know it's not easy. Sometimes a lot of people get into the pro-life movement because of the adoration, the joy of human life and babies. But we get it wrong if we only focus on the children. And I've seen firsthand in pregnancy resource centers where they're exclusively focused on the baby sometimes and not on the mom. But I have seen, which is the norm in pregnancy resource centers across this nation, where they are so loving and uplifting and honest with mom about the impact of abortion that because that woman knows that she is loved, she is supported, she is encouraged, and she is helped, she chooses life for her baby because she knows that she was told the truth to and she was built up even in the face of all the other options that the world is pushing her toward. And that is a pro-life response.